coming up on Philosophy Talk. The future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. James Baldwin and social justice. I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the death of the heart, which is happening in my country. According to Baldwin, white Americans are in deep denial about black grievances because they're clinging to self-justifying myths about their own virtue and benevolence. These people have deluded themselves for so long they really don't think I'm human. And this means that they have become in themselves moral monsters. What will it take to achieve social justice? Is truth really so dangerous? Our guest is Christopher Freeberg from the University of Illinois. Baldwin, Truth, and Social Justice. I can't be a pessimist. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is it time for black people to turn the other cheek? Or is it time for black people to rise up and rebel against the white power structure? But aren't some whites innocent victims of the system too? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm Deborah Satz. And we're here in the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus where Deborah and I teach philosophy. Today we're talking about James Baldwin and social justice. Now, Deborah, I'm a big fan of, of Baldwin. He's a, he's a deep thinker, a searing social critic, and one of my favorite playwrights and novelists. You know, I like Baldwin, too, but I'm really bothered by his answer to what he calls the Negro problem. Well, what, what bothers you? Well, take the letter he wrote to his nephew. In that letter, Baldwin tells him not only that he has to accept white people, but that he has to accept them with love. Love? That's what bothers you? You got something against love? I mean, come on, even thinking of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King also preached love and tolerance. Does does King bother you too? You know, King was deeply Christian and embraced a, a philosophy of Christian love, but Baldwin rejected Christianity, so I just don't get the appeal. You, well, you think you need some excuse to uh, love thine enemy, as Christ puts it? I'm just saying you sometimes have to fight thine enemy, not just love thine enemy. It sounds like you want Baldwin to be, uh, I don't know, angrier or something. Is that it? Well, why not? You know, he, it just doesn't make sense to me that he's not as angry. In the letter to his nephew, he also says that whites are innocent. How can he say that? Whites have been oppressing blacks. And oppressors aren't innocent, and they don't deserve love. Uh, I, I, I think you're missing Baldwin's point. I think you're acting as if he's blind to the reality of white oppression, but he's, he's not blind to white oppression. But if he sees it, how can it make sense for him to say that whites are innocent? It's as if he thinks we're children who don't have responsibility for the harms we've been inflicting on black people. No, I, I still, I don't, I, I don't think that's right. I don't, I don't think he's trying to let whites off the hook. He, he thinks they're innocents because innocence is a kind of prison in his mind. Ken, what does that even mean? Well, well, Baldwin says this stuff about whites being trapped in history. And, and, and that means they, they've created this illusion of white supremacy, and they, they think of themselves as superior, you know, as separate from the Negro, and segregation maintains that illusion, and that's why they're taught in a, a prison, a prison of illusion. Okay, I get that, but, but why call it innocence? 
aren't whites willfully self-deluded? After all, whites benefit from white supremacy. It sounds like you really, really do want more, you want more anger from Baldwin. That seems what, it, what you want. Well, I think that would be appropriate. Not love, but anger, righteous anger. But, but, but see, I, I still I don't think you're getting what Baldwin exactly means by love. You, it's as if you're construing love as this kind of empty sentiment that lets people off the hook, that's all touchy-feely, forgiving. That's not how Baldwin sees it. Baldwin sees love as the core of a demanding, transformative project. That's how he sees love. But why does that burden of transformation have to fall on black people? But, but that's not what he's saying. He's not putting the burden on black people. That's why he says, I am not your Negro, Deborah. Uh, explain. Well, look, he re- in saying, I am not your Negro, he's refusing to be the Negro that the white supremacist imagines. You know, the, the Negro incapable of love that has no full agency. And with that defense act of defiance, because it is an act of defiance, he throws the burden of transformation right back on the white man. That's what he's doing. Well, you know, that sounds good, um, but I'm still bothered by the um, impression that Baldwin is letting whites off the hook. Why is the burden always on the oppressed to educate the oppressors about their own history? Why do blacks have to educate whites? Well, Why do they have to free whites? Well, well, this thing about burdens is important, and I do believe each of us has to sh- shoulder our own burden. And some people have taken the burden upon themselves or are channeling, channeling Baldwin's message in their own work. So... We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out more about the resurgence of Baldwin in the age of Black Lives Matter. She files this report. More than 30 years since his death, James Baldwin's words have resurfaced in places like contemporary hip-hop, artwork, and movies. Take, for instance, the 2016 documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. In the film, Baldwin's prose is spoken by Samuel L. Jackson. I had had to accept as time wore on part of my responsibility as a witness was to move as largely and as freely as possible to write the story and to get it out. The documentary is centered around Baldwin's writing, what it means to be black in America, and the importance of confronting the country's racist past. To watch the TV screen for any length of time is to learn some really frightening things about the American sense of reality. We are cruelly trapped between what we would like to be and what we actually are. Baldwin's work has also resonated with contemporary writers like Jamie McGee. She remembers reading Baldwin's work for the first time. At first I was like, who's this random guy? He's so angry all the time. But then, I mean, very quickly I realized this guy is speaking truth and nothing has really changed in the past 60 years since he began writing. Nothing's changed then up until now. McGee co-founded a project called Praying with James Baldwin. Through 30 days of prayer, the project uses Baldwin's writing as a guide to help people navigate police brutality. The idea came after George Zimmerman was acquitted in the 2012 shooting death of Trayvon Martin. A lot of times when I am faced with senseless violence, I don't have the words. I just sort of stare. And even if I'm praying, I don't really have the words. My God. And then ellipses, and I don't know how to end the sentence. Baldwin grew up in the church, but later rejected it completely. But through his writing and through prayer, McGee hopes she can help people find the language they're looking for. One Day is based on Eric Garner's last words, I can't breathe. It also features excerpts from Baldwin's play, Blues for Mr. Charlie. 
In the scene, a woman tells her grandson that faith is not up to him. It's up to the life in you. The life in you that knows where it comes from that believes in God. You doubt me, you just try holding your breath long enough to die. Below that excerpt is a prayer written for the project. It is not a desire to die that keeps Eric Gardner from breathing, but the police officer's arm around his neck. It is the arms around all of our necks that keep us from breathing. It is the fear that our breath will be considered aggressive behavior and that if we open our mouths, an officer will fill it with bullets. Police shootings like this one and the Black Lives Matter movement have propelled Baldwin into the mainstream. During his first year teaching high school students, Clint Smith also turned to Baldwin. Trayvon Martin had just been killed, but standardized testing left little room for teachers to talk about that. How do we talk about Trayvon? Do we talk about Trayvon? How do we talk about uh, Michael Brown? How do we talk about Eric Garner? How do we talk about the range of folks who have been killed at the hands of the state? As he wrestled with these questions, another teacher gave Smith a speech by James Baldwin called a talk to teachers. Baldwin gave that speech soon after the Ku Klux Klan had bombed a church in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963, killing four girls. I was just struck by how much of what Baldwin was writing about the role that teachers should play in creating a space for students to, to ask and wrestle with and navigate a world that is often like filled with tragedy and despair. After reading that speech, Smith focused less on standardized tests and more energy in using literature to help students understand the world they lived in, like using Shakespeare's Julius Caesar to talk about what it means to protest against the state. I think Baldwin kind of, you know, essentially he says that we should reject the false pretense of the classroom as an apolitical space. And your responsibility as a teacher is to help students understand how the world came to exist as it does. Since Baldwin's death in 1987, prison populations have exploded. The wealth gap between black and white families has widened. Clint Smith says people are trying to provide solutions without understanding the history of the problem. And that's a sort of central thesis of, of much of Baldwin's work, and that remains relevant as much today as it ever has been. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.